something to the Lord, we should offer it in excellence. And part of excellence is that professionalism that was just displayed. And uh, we can go for that. That's a good thing. And isn't it also a blessing that we will be updating our sound technology here in the year 2012? <laughs> our computer technology, our sound technology, our lighting technology, and uh, bringing us to a place where if there are glitches like that, we can point a finger at somebody and say, what's wrong with you? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> there's no blame to be brought. And, uh, of course, this morning uh, we're blessed that we'll be able to have the finances to do that this year. That's going to be tremendous. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you will, this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, we're in the third week of our series on honor. We took a detour last week, a very... Spirit-filled, needed detour. Uh, we're getting back on the honor track this morning. And we mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, actually the first two weeks of the honor series, that who we honor, how we honor, what we honor, and when we honor are what sets us apart as the people of God. And today I would like to talk to you about how we orient ourselves to honor God it's very important that we position ourselves to honor God because our natural inclination as people is to dishonor God. It, it, it's natural for us to dishonor God. It's sort of unnatural in our human sinfulness to position ourselves in a place where we can honor God. Uh, to be haphazard, willy-nilly, hit or miss, arbitrary are not ways to honor God. We must be intentional about it. We must determine our orientation to the Lord. Over the course of the next two weeks, as Pastor Cindy is on vacation, I will be bringing us two stories, one from the first king of Israel to show us a faulty orientation in order to honor the Lord. And the second story next week will be from the second king of Israel that shows us the proper orientation in order to honor the Lord. So you turn to 1 Samuel 15, and before we begin to read, I want to mention a general principle here that I believe bears itself out over and over again in Scripture. Within the people of God, this is within, that, that's the qualifier, within the people of God, a person desperate to be honored most often ends up dishonorable. Are you catching that? A person desperate to be honored most often ends up dishonorable. You can probably think of a person in your mind's eye that, that would come to your mind that you'd think they were so desperate to be honored, so desperate to be known for something within the body of Christ, so desperate to be lauded that they ended up a dishonorable person. Now, here's the other side of this general principle. A person desperate to honor the Lord most often ends up honorable most often ends up honorable. We could probably go to the Old Testament and talk about a few prophets who met a bad end, even though they were desperate to honor the Lord. But for the most part, those desperate to honor the Lord end up honorable. And that's part of the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this world. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The one looking for the applause of men is often disgraced. And so I'm just going to throw it out there. I was going to do this inductively and just make this point later, but I'll just tell you exactly where I'm going today. We, as the people of God, must keep our pride level low 
in order to be people who honor the Lord. That, that's the one concept that's that going to be the overriding principle, principle of everything we talk about the rest of the day, that we must keep our pride level low and be uninterested in self-honoring in order to honor the Lord. We find a story of the wrong orientation here in First Samuel, First Samuel, First Samuel, chapter Samuel and chapter uh, fifteen. A man from the tribe of Benjamin, the Bible says, a handsome man, a man who was a head taller than anybody else in the nation, named Saul, had been named king of Israel. He was appointed slash anointed by God through the leading prophet of the day, in fact, the leading statesman of the day in Israel, a prophet named Samuel. The book bears his name. Now, the generating principle for a king in the ancient Near East was the fact that there was war. It was a dangerous place to live. You needed a king for the national defense. Israel got to a point after the period of the judges that they demanded a king from the Lord, and the Lord gave them what they wanted, even if it was not uh, the best for them. So when Saul is made king, Israel was surrounded by at least four hostile nations and was under threat of plunder from two migratory peoples, two migratory desert peoples who would come in, plunder your land, and then leave, kill and and, and do this Viking-esque sort of thing. One of these migratory people groups who were so dangerous to the nation of Israel were named the Amalekites. The Amalekites had raided and plundered against Israel for some time. But if you remember, it was also the opportunistic Amalekites who had attacked the people of Israel the minute they had escaped from Egypt and gone into the desert. So they're in this place of vulnerability in the desert across the Red Sea, and the Amalekites come down on them and attack this vulnerable people group, uh, moving out with their herds and families and all this sort of thing. And that was that battle where Moses had to keep his arms in the air and he sends Joshua out to fight and they eventually win. Well, God had not forgotten what the Amalekites had done against his people, nor was he going to gloss over the sins of plundering and raiding that they constantly were doing, especially in the land of Judah. And in 1 Samuel 15, God orders Saul the king to go to the stronghold of the Amalekites and wipe it out both for the sin of the previous generations where they attacked the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and of course they are still a threat uh, to the people of Israel. God said that he was to leave none alive, and that included the precious and pricey livestock that the Amalekites owned. The command was made clear to Saul through the prophet Samuel, but Saul did not obey God. He did not destroy the Amalekite stronghold In total, he took the choicest of the livestock with him, and as a trophy, he spared their king, Agag. What a great name. And we pick up the story, Agag, we pick up the story in verse 10, right after the victory here. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king. Because he has turned away from me, he's not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor 
and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Now let's stop there for just a moment because God makes his indictment against Saul to the prophet Samuel. He has not followed my instructions. He's turned away from me. He has not obeyed the word he knew to be sure. In an important important note, we find that Samuel goes to find Saul and doesn't find him where he's looking for him. Saul has gone to Carmel. Now, this is not the Mount Carmel that you might think about in the northern part of Israel where we have dramatic things taking place later. Saul was not doing a cross-country here. He was still in the land of Judah in a village called Carmel. And then he was going over towards the Jordan to a place called Gilgal. Gilgal being at that point in Israelite history perhaps the most important shrine still around. That was the place that Joshua had made the altar once they had crossed the Jordan River into the land. Gilgal was Joshua's base of operations. So in light of Saul's victory, he builds a monument, or should I say in light of God's victory, Saul builds a monument to himself, and then he's going to take some of these livestock over to Gilgal, this important shrine at that point. There was no central temple in Israel yet, and and the tabernacle uh, was up in Shiloh. So we have these different shrines going on all all over the nation at this point. And he goes to Gilgal, perhaps the most important place still there, uh, to sort of celebrate the victory. Taken together with the vanity inherent in sparing Agag as a trophy, it seems that Saul's primary motivation, Saul's orientation, was to honor himself. Let's move on to verse 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you! I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel replied, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Well, Saul answered, Well, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop! Stop! Samuel said to Saul, Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Saul said, Tell me. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until they are wiped out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Catch this response. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now before we continue, let's make a few notes to ourselves. First, isn't it interesting the elation with which Saul greets Samuel? The Lord bless you! It's been done! Great! It appears either one of two things is happening in the mind of Saul. Either one, he's so proud of himself that he's totally unaware of his disobedience. Or two, he knows that he's done wrong and has decided that he's going to start justifying himself right away. Either way, his pride and his self-honoring had either led to lies, to delusion, or a little bit of both. That when confronted with his disobedience, he nonchalantly blames it on his men. A tall tale for which Samuel has no time. He just cries, stop. Your kids ever been spinning the tale to you? 
And you just go, oh, stop. That's ridiculous. I know this ain't right. You know what I'm saying? They're spinning the tail, and you just don't have any time for it. Samuel has no time for Saul to spin the tail. He's heard it all before. Stop, he says. Let me tell you what the Lord told me. Okay? Now, he begins to move towards confronting Saul on his sin. And it's interesting to note that in verse 17, God mentions in humil- that Saul once walked in humility. Even though, Saul, you were small in your own eyes, I made you king over all of Israel. He mentioned Saul's humility to begin the indictment. In fact, when Saul was made king, he, he got cold feet and ended up hiding. He wasn't ready to be anointed king in front of all the people. And in fact, even after he was anointed king in front of the people, he just went home. Like, he, he just went back and, you know, back to the, back to the old ranch. You know, he, you're made king now, Saul. I, I guess I'll go home. And then he eventually becomes king when he begins to become the redeemer of Israel, when he starts knocking out these, these uh, violent nations that are coming against them. And I find it interesting that even after confronted with his disobedience, Saul looks at Samuel and says, but I did obey the Lord. And then he begins to describe his disobedience. Did you catch that? I did obey the Lord. Yeah, 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 we kept the plunder. Yeah, 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 I spared Agag. Exactly, I obeyed the Lord. And Samuel just said, no, you did not obey the Lord. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Let me describe for you how I disobeyed the Lord so you will know that I obeyed the Lord. See, some of you are listening. Now, I just want to mention for just one moment, because people often view Saul as sort of this sad character. You know what I'm saying? We have David, who is said to be a man's after God, man after God's own heart, who is an adulterer and a murderer, and, and Saul's, just, Saul's just a little bit prideful, right? I just, I just wonder, and I don't know this for sure, this is conjecture on my part. But I look at the Bible, and I don't see this heathen fatalism. This, oh, well, Saul was done from this very moment. I wonder if Saul, in the moment of the confrontation, had said, Oh, I have sinned. I have done wrong. Samuel, I repent before you, and I repent before God, and I ask God's forgiveness. What would have happened? We don't know. But I I just want to throw it out there that it doesn't seem to be in the character of Scripture for there to be no opportunity for repentance. And notice, Samuel brings the charges before he ever gets to the point where he says, Saul, you're done. So just a thought, but I don't know that to be uh, categorically true. It's just conjecture. Don't teach that to your children. All right. Verse 22. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he he, he delights in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Now catch this. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the sin of idolatry. Both capital offenses. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And then Saul said to Samuel, Okay, I've sinned. I I added the okay. I violated the Lord's command in your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin, come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. In essence, Samuel's not buying it. 
He tells Saul that his disobedience is based in rebellion and arrogance, not in an honest mistake. This wasn't an honest mistake here. This was rebellion. This was arrogance. And Samuel likens them to divination. He likens it to idolatry, both capital offenses in Israel at this time. And only after Saul's kingship is threatened does he begin to admit his sin. And even now he won't take responsibility as the leader. He says, I was afraid of the men. And then did you catch the very next thing? Okay, forgive my sin. Now, now come back to the worship service with me, will you, Samuel? I mean, you're a pretty important guy. I mean, Samuel was the religious leader of the people of Israel at this point. Saul needed Samuel to come back with him, otherwise he would be shamed. In other words, I'm sorry, Sam, I was wrong. Are we all good? All right, let's get our official obligations on here. Let's do it. Let's roll. Sorry, man, let's go. We've got to worship the Lord here. We're at Gilgal. That's what we came here for. And I need you to be part of this with me. Let's go. Do you feel the disconnect here? The, between the reality of the situation between Saul and the Lord and where Saul's mind and heart is at at this very moment? And this is the difference between David and Saul. When, when David is confronted by the prophet of God, what does he do? Ah! I'm in trouble with the Lord. What does Saul do? No, I didn't sin. I did exactly what God told me not to do so he would know that I did what he told me to do. And now, okay, I sinned. Okay, but Samuel, will you come back with me? We've got official obligations to take care of here. Totally different response in the moment of confrontation by the prophet of God. Let's continue to read uh, verse 26. But Samuel said to him, I won't go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to leave, Saul must have been down on the ground in his supplication of Samuel to join him. Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe in a tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul replied again, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. And so Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. One final note here, even in the midst of his rejection by the Lord, Saul is determined to save face. Samuel, please come back with me. If you don't, I won't be honored before the people before the elders, please come back with me. So desperate that he tears the hem of the prophet's robe. Come back with me, Samuel. I need you to honor me before the people and before the elders of Israel. We've got to go to church together. Let's pretend that this hasn't happened because if you go now, I'll be shamed. And Samuel, for reasons that are his own, relents and goes with Saul. The story of Saul is such a sad one because he's presented as a humble man in his youth. But it's very easy for one who is humble before God in their youth to begin to reorient themselves towards self-honoring later in life. A little knowledge, a couple of personal victories, the trust of the people of God can go a long way toward waking our dormant pride. Saul was to lead his people in honoring the Lord, and instead he was working hard at honoring himself. And his own wishes, when push came to shove, were more important than the command 
of the Lord. When confronted with his disobedience, he passes it off as of little importance. In essence, Saul was acting as if he honored God in the midst of dishonoring God. And in the midst of his rebellion and disobedience, he's saying, Can't you see me honoring the Lord? I need the people of God to see me honoring the Lord even in the midst of my disobedience. Samuel, Samuel, come with me. Honor me. And that is the deluded, orient, or the deluded orientation that I want to warn us about today. It's very easy to say that we honor the Lord when our actions are screaming that the person we honor and the mandates that we follow are those of self. It's very easy to say we're honoring the Lord when we're busy honoring ourselves. Saul was busy reveling in his own victory that he totally dishonored the Lord. And lest you think that a parallel drawn to us is a, straight, is a stretch today, let me mention that making war was Saul's gifting. Think about that for just a minute. As I mentioned earlier, the generating principle of a king in the ancient Near East was to defend your borders, to make war. And he was good at it. He was, he was beating enemies on all sides at this point. He had already gone up against the Ammonites. He'd already defeated the Philistines Now he, on the west and on the east, and now he's going south to destroy the Amalekites. He is expanding Israel's borders and protecting them. He was doing what he did best. In the ancient world, you put the big guy out front, and he was a head taller than anybody else. He was the big guy with the big sword, with the big will, and his gift from the Lord was making war. Because he was to be the deliverer, redeemer of the people of God. That was Saul. That was his gift. He say, oh, that sounds rather violent. It was. It was, but it was a very violent world at that point. Thus, Saul was reveling in his God-given station. And how easy it is to be seduced by self-aggrandizement in the midst of our God-given mission. I'm going to say that again because I muffed my words. It's easy to be seduced by self-aggrandizement in the midst of our God-given mission. What was true then is true now. We can begin to take the victories God has won in our lives and the giftings that he has blessed us with and then begin to turn the focus on us. That's all Saul was doing. He was claiming the Lord's victory as his own, and he was taking the giftings that the Lord had given him and saying, look at me. And we can do that today, even in our gifting. The servants among us can be puffed up in our servanthood. The hospitable among us can take pride in our hospitality. The spiritually attuned among us can take pride in our high level of spirituality. The financially blessed among us can take pride in our giving. The learned among us can take pride in our knowledge. The artists among us can take pride in our performance. Saul was taking personal pride in God's victory through him. And when we allow ourselves to take personal pride in God's victory, it becomes quite easy to dishonor and disobey the Lord and not even know it. To delude ourselves and to just say, uh, 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 well, I'm just serving the Lord. 
Did you ever find it highly instructive that when, that when Jesus determined his inner circle of disciples, the men who would develop his church, he neglected to include any Pharisees, rabbis, scribes, or Sadducees? He chose for the most part unlearned men who were not part of the religious elite, men with wrinkles in their piety, men with holes in their understanding, men with lessons to learn in humility, and men who were willing to be taught. And who was it that Jesus came into sharp conflict with? Those who in their pride had determined that they had arrived at their God-given destination. Jesus is always in conflict, especially in the book of Matthew, with those who were proud of their religious standing and the giftings that the Lord had given them. And he was working through people who were, the Bible sort of presents them as kind of guys, you know. I mean, you read the Bible and you say, these guys don't get it. Well, yeah, because they recognized that they needed to be in a place to be teachable, you know. I love it that the disciples can't even answer Jesus' rhetorical questions. They just, they got nothing for him. They're willing to be taught. They're willing to learn. And, and when they have pride in their standings as Jesus' disciples, Jesus just takes the pegs that they're standing on and whoop, knocks them right out so they can stay in a place of humility. And when we begin to believe that we've arrived at our God-given destination, when we've defeated the Amalekites in our own life, it's very easy to set up the monument to ourselves. And it's very easy to begin to disobey the Lord while saying, oh, I'm obeying. Saul thought he had arrived. He was God's chosen. He could do no wrong. And if he did wrong, he expected God to gloss it over. In the same way that Saul was reveling in his kingship and the fact that he had gone from this humble shepherd to this victorious warlord, we can begin to revel in our own knowledge, our own giftings, our own victories, where we were once in a place of humility before the Lord. That's the crux of this message. To keep in honoring and obeying the Lord, we must keep our pride level low. It's not about us. It's not about our gifts. It's not about our calling. It's all about Him. Because He's given us life, breath, blessing, provision, gifting, calling, all for His glory, not for ours. All of it. It's all about Him. So two things to do in the next few minutes uh, for us to sort of drive these points home and make them real in our lives today. The first thing to do here is ask ourselves, where is our level of pride? Is it high? And then the second thing I want to do in the next few moments is develop steps to keep our pride level low. So the first question is, is my pride level high? The second question is, how do I keep my pride level No. All right, let's talk about the high pride level. Five things to sort of look at to say, is my pride level high? Do you find yourself saying, God knows my heart? The young adults know where I'm going with this. Do you find yourself saying, God knows my heart? Because that is usually said right after you've disobeyed the Lord. I, 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 I know that I was a jerk there, but God knows my heart. We're glossing. We're doing the same thing that Saul wanted Samuel to do for him. Gloss it over. God knows my heart. I just defeated the Amalekites, so if I do things my own way just a little bit, God won't care. He knows my heart. If 
Find yourself saying, God knows my heart a lot. You're probably in a place of disobedience. Your pride level is probably very high because God does not wink at your sin. And if God, I don't even want to know if God knows my heart. I know he does, but please, do you really want him to know your heart? Just a thought. Number two, are you unable to respond to a message, respond in a place of repentance or prayer to a message because you're afraid that people will see you doing it? Are you afraid when you sit here and Pastor Cindy or I or whoever might be the speaker that morning brings you to a place of conviction, or should I say the Holy Spirit brings you to a place of conviction through the message, and you think to yourself, I can't respond to that, I can't raise my hand, I can't stand, I certainly can't kneel on the altar, because what would people think of me? Saul was bringing, or Samuel was bringing Saul to a place where he needed to be in repentance, and all he could think about was how he looked in front of the people. If your pride level's high, you can't respond to the word of the Lord because you're afraid of what other people will think. And that extends not only in the church service, that for you parents extends before your children. If you can't admit wrong and your need for repentance in front of your children, your pride level is high. High. You say, how do you know these high pride level things? You got it with the look. Number three, do you find yourself when the word of the Lord is coming, and it doesn't matter if it's the pastor on the television, the pastor in the pulpit, the teacher on Wednesday night, and the whole time that they're preaching, teaching, or trying to impart things into your life, you start thinking to yourself, oh, I wish they would have said this. You know what they missed? You ever find yourself doing that? Man, I watch the guys on TV, and I'm thinking that the whole time. You know what they missed? Oh, why didn't they say that? Oh, they're just completely off base, and we're completely missing the word of the Lord to us. Guess what? Whoever's teaching you and bringing you the word of the Lord doesn't think like you think. But that may just be God's way to get into your mind and your heart and change you. Now, now certainly, there's going to be times when people stand up here and we miss something. And I, I don't want you to feel like, oh, this is in response to, to me coming and saying, Pastor Matt, what about this? That's fine. We need to be kept checks and balances that way. What I'm saying is, if you completely disregard what the Lord's trying to say through somebody because you're thinking, oh, they're just, they just need this. They need what I know. You're not listening to the word of the Lord. Fourth thing that says if our pride level is sort of high, do you get to the point where you ever say, this is my ministry, I'm not called to do that. I can't serve in that way because I'm gifted over here. Now, this is not particularly derived from the story. This is just from the old folksy wisdom from the 28-year-old up front, right? Do you find yourself saying, well, my ministry is this. I'm not showing up for that, even when you're convicted about it. Don't we revel in our gifting rather than doing what the Lord's speaking to us now? Okay? That's a fourth way that we can look and say, well, well, we're not in a place of humility because we're taking pride only in our primary gifting where God's calling us to so much more. And the fifth way that we can tell if our pride level is high, have you been listening to this message this morning thinking about all the people that need to hear it? I just got like 40 of you, didn't I? You know who needs to hear that message on pride. You know, I know. That, 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 that. 
That's you. If you've been thinking of all the people that need to hear it, you might be thinking, the guy preaching it needs to hear it. It's you. It's you. It's you. If you're constantly thinking or saying, people just don't get it. I wish they could just understand what God's revealed to me. They just, they just need to know what I know. They just need to move into what I've moved into. I just want to tell you that there's a place of spiritual pride there that you need to let down a little bit. Sure, we've all had experiences with the Lord that have been so sweet and so wonderful that we want everybody to begin to experience those. But we need to allow God to do what God's going to do and keep our humility level high and our pride level low. Abraham Lincoln was once sitting in his office and he gave audience to a Quaker woman who came to him in early 1862 before he had announced the Emancipation Proclamation. And she walked into his office and he often would grant, would grant audiences with people who weren't in, in a place of power. And the Quaker woman walked in and said, I want to tell you that you are the Lord's anointed to deliver the slaves in this country. And he looked back at her and says, Madam, if that were true, do you not think the Lord would tell me too? And I want to tell you, the Lord must have told him. Right? The Lord must have told him. And so I just want to encourage you, when we get to a place in our lives that we just, we just want everybody else to come along with us, let God work in that. Just pray through that. And, 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 and if they're meant to be there, they're going to get there. I had somebody in FM, and I know I could tell this story because I trust this person. I had somebody in FM t tell me, I cannot wait for the day, and God showed me the day when all of FM is going to be dancing before the Lord in worship. And I thought, you are crazy. <laughs> I do not dance in worship. They do not dance in worship. We will, we will not be dancing. And I said, oh, wouldn't that be a day? Something like that, you know? Not two months after that, and we had to have the youth with us because they're a little more free in their worship than we are. We were at a youth retreat with the young adults, and all of a sudden I look around and a major praise chorus is singing, and you've got 45 people just... all dancing before the Lord. I just want to tell you, it's not your job to bring other people to where you're at. It's God's job to bring other people to where he wants them. Right? And that, that girl was right on, wasn't she? The word was from the Lord. She just hadn't given it. God just hadn't given it to me. So, so I just want to encourage you. You might not agree with the word, but I, I'm telling you, just say, well, God hasn't said that, but maybe it'll happen. And if you're one of these that just needs everybody to be where you're at, just remember, if God means it to happen, guess what will happen? I did not get up there and say, FM, this is the night that we're going to dance before the Lord. Come on. God moments. Stick with me. We're at noon. Five more minutes. How to keep our pride level low. Let's move into the other thing. How to keep our pride level low. One, be able to be instructed. Look at this. Saul had the best instructor that Israel had had since Moses and Joshua and couldn't listen. Listen, the instructor's not going to be perfect, but instruction from the Lord is always perfect. And it can come through some very weird places and some very shady characters. God can speak. He spoke through a donkey. He spoke through an evil prophet named Balaam. And you say, well, I can't listen to that person. They just don't feed me. They just don't. They just, I can't listen to them for this reason. That re Pride high. Get it low. 
listen to the instruction of God for you. Don't see the instructor and go, oh, can't listen, I'm out, I'm out. I'm just going to think about sports or something. No. Listen, the Lord may have something for you regardless of the instructor. Listen, be able to be instructed. Two, admit disobedience and sin quickly. Don't gloss it. What was Saul's problem here? He was glossing it. He wouldn't talk about it. He didn't think it was a problem, did he? He didn't think his sin was a problem. And we don't want to gloss our sin. Well, I have an addictive personality, so God has grace for that. Well, I I, I deal with depression, so I can treat people like that. Oh, I have anger issues, and God just knows that about me. I'm just going to not worry about that. I'll worry about the rest. I even had one guy years ago tell me that his problem with immorality was due to the fact that he was so irresistible. I kid you not. I confronted him on his sexual sin. I'm irresistible. I can't help it. I said, no, you are crazy. And you are not. And... We like to gloss our sin and say, oh, well, we just, have, we just have these little things that God understands about me. It's part of my personality. No, it's sin. It's sin. You don't have a right just because God knows your heart. You don't have a right. Admit disobedience and sin quickly. Number three, be aware that your gifting for the body of Christ can be the very source of your pride. Be aware of that. But we've already hit that point primarily through this message. So we won't stay there. And finally, you want to know how to keep your pride level low? Worship the Lord with all your heart and serve others with all your heart. I don't care if you have the most exalted position of preaching and worship leading or whatever position you would view as exalted within the church, you better be serving others. Christ wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his disciples. And I want to tell you, regardless of where you're gifted in the body of Christ, never use that as an excuse to say, oh, I can't serve in that place. That's just demeaning. Oh, I'm just in a different place now in life. I served that way in my 20s. Now I'm in my 50s, and I should be respected. Keep serving. It keeps you humble. Keep worshiping the Lord, too. Because I tell you, the Lord delights in your worship. And you continue to worship the Lord with the right heart, And he'll remind you of why he's to be worshipped and you are not. He'll remind you. He'll remind you. So I just encourage you today, evaluate with the help of the Holy Spirit, where's my pride level at? And if some of those things you laughed guiltily in those first five, that's where your pride level's at. And if some of those last four you think, boy, I I haven't done that in a while, I I need to do that. Or I need to engage in that. God's trying to tell you something this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we have examples in the Bible both of how to honor you and how to dishonor you, Lord, so that there can be no question. Father, I ask today that we will take the example that has been given to us, Lord, in this word today. And Lord... Be the antithesis of what we've seen. Lord, may we be people who honor you, who keep our pride level low, who keep our our humility level high, and Lord, who honor you with all that we do, all that we say, both in our humility and in our obedience. Lord, we want to honor you. Father, if there are things that you have convicted us of today, 
Lord, I pray that we would not gloss them, but Lord, we would confront them, that we'd share it with a brother or sister in Christ to admit our sin, that we would confess it before you, and that we would ask somebody to hold us accountable in that area. Lord, I pray that we treat sin as seriously as you treat it. And Father God, I pray for everybody who has heard this message, Lord, who has something to change, myself included. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the grace to see it through. Give us the strength, Lord, to be the people that you would have us to be. All of us, Lord, battle pride. All of us, Lord, from the greatest to the least. All of us battle pride, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would just help us, God, to remain humble before you. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have been present in this service. Lord, we thank you for the way in which your presence, Lord, has taught us and moved us and even convicted us. We pray now, Lord, that we go with your blessing and your strength and your power to see through the things, Lord, that you have brought into our hearts today. Dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' name.